You're listening to K&J Recaps. Welcome back to K&J Recaps. We are here recapping Stranger Things Season 2, Episode 5, Dig Dug. I am Jess. I am Kim. Uh, so, Kim, before we get in, happy Halloween. We are recording this on Halloween night. Ooh. <laughs> That's right. Very spooky. Uh, we talked about the appropriateness of uh, this being released during the Halloween season, and I think it's awesome. Did you have any favorite trick-or-treaters this evening? Any highlights? Um, no, you know what? This year there were a lot of great costumes, but none that really stood out. But I, w- <laughs> I wish I had remembered to tell this story in the earlier podcast when we were talking about the Ghostbusters uh, costumes that the boys were wearing. But <laughs> last year we actually had like a family. Uh, so it was like mom, dad, a little boy and a little girl who came to the door. And mom, dad and the little boy were all dressed as Ghostbusters. <laughs> And the little girl was dressed in like a little 80s like businesswoman suit. I think she was like, <laughs> she was like Sigourney oh Weaver. <laughs> oh my God. Like that is a family that I have like life goals. Like be. I want like, to be them. Exactly. Yeah. Like that is a coolness that I would never even think of. But she like... was wearing like a little turtleneck with like a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> So awesome. I know. Oh, yes. Well, um, that is an excellent 80s and Stranger Things related costume set. I had no Stranger Things costumes show at my door. But, you know. There's always next year. Some year. Exactly. Uh, so episode five. Holy shit. It was so, so bonkers. It was like, <laughs> so honestly, crazy. I was so edge of my seat the whole episode. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it last night late after we podcasted The Walking Dead. This really is a podcasting marathon this week. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, like I texted you. I don't know what time it was, but I texted you late. And I was like, holy shit, this is the best episode ever. It is phenomenal. There is lots to dive into. We're going to go through scene by scene as we have been. Thanks to everybody who's been listening uh, along with us. As always, if you want to leave us Feedback, please do so at kjrecaps.com slash feedback. And if you want to leave us a rating or review in iTunes, we really appreciate it. I know every podcast you listen to asks for it. And now that we're podcasters, we understand why. (laughs) It really (laughs) does make a difference in terms of people being able to find us in the search results, which isn't easy. Like, honestly, I would be interested if anybody would be willing to take just a minute or two and submit on kjrecaps.com slash feedback. How are you finding us? Because uh, iTunes search results is terrible. With the new iOS, they only have eight search results. So um, I am genuinely interested to know, like, how are you finding us? And thank you for for finding us. Tell your friends uh, because iTunes is making it hard to sort of break in. But um, we are certainly happy to have you here listening tonight. And if you would take a minute to do that, that would be amazing. The indie podcasting game is a hard one. <laughs> so, like, we would love to know more about it. And you really, it's a black hole of no information. That's so, uh, so, so Kim's true. Right to ask for that. Yeah. <laughs> a black hole like the one that Hopper digs in the field, <laughs> leading like, to a tunnel. Of- what a segue, Jess. Thank you. Like, Thank back you on track. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Let us launch in to Dig Dug. 
Okay, so we start the episode with Joyce trying to reach Hopper, but he's not picking up because we saw at the end of last episode, he is in a giant hole. Trouble. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So she uh, continues to try to place like pieces of Will's vine puzzle together. And as she's walking around the house trying to find the place for this most recent piece, we see that it is covering her house. This is like Christmas lights 2.0. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas lights are very last year. Now it's vine drawings in crayon. (laughs) That's right. So all the people who I saw had amazing uh, Stranger Things Halloween parties. This is your decor for next year because it's it would be amazing. That is brilliant. They could even do different rooms like Christmas light room and then like vine drawing room. This is so good. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I know what we're doing for Halloween next year, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um so in will's room he's talking to mike and he's telling him that he is beginning to feel more and more connected to the shadow monster he's feeling what it feels it's he's seeing what it's seeing and it's like the monster is in the upside down but it's also here in our world and it's in him and um it's like spreading into our world and as it's doing that like this is um you know, making him feel more connected to Will. And Will is like seeing these now memories all the time now. It's not just like a dream that you're trying to remember. It's like always. So Mike is so sweet in this scene. He is like really trying to make the best of it by suggesting that Will could be a spy and that like if they know what the monster is feeling and all the information that the monster has, maybe they they can use that to beat it. So, I mean, like it turns out that this is not just Mike trying to make Will feel better. We are already seeing the benefits of having this insight uh, in this episode. So uh, very insightful, Mike. Absolutely. And like, I won't go down this uh, road very far, but I don't know. It's funny. This is the second episode where I've gotten um, a Harry Potter vibe. And I know that that's a fandom that I am a much bigger fan of than you, Kim. But like, there's been two big references. So the first is the headline when they do that flashback or not flashback, but they see that newspaper from when Will was found. And it said the boy who lived, which is like such a very common close, phrase yeah. in Harry Potter. And then this whole thing just... I. Can't help but get, like, shades of Voldemort. And, of course, like, people... Evil taking over good is, like, a way... A long, long, long trope. It's not just invented by Rowling. I get it. But, like, this reminds me so much of the connection between Voldemort and Harry and how sometimes he's able to leverage it for good and sometimes Voldemort is able to leverage it against Harry and it's kind of a struggle and neither of them fully masters it and so you can't really fully trust that connection but they are able to exploit it like kind of feels like what Will's going through here where he's definitely nervous he is able to use it to his advantage you can also imagine that at some point as the monster seems to be getting stronger he could do what Will's worried about which is you know leverage it for his benefit it's been him Yeah, Yeah. I think that that is um, a really great point. I absolutely see the parallels for sure. And I mean, like we know that uh, this show takes inspiration from existing pop culture. And generally speaking, the vast majority of what we have seen has come from the 80s. But I mean, Harry Potter is an enormous 
cultural phenomenon, and uh, they very well could be taking some of that from Harry Potter. Harry Potter itself, as you mentioned, uh, you know, does some storylines that I'm sure were explored in, um, you know, stories that predated it as well. But like, it is definitely a very close connection to some of the the themes that we see in Harry Potter. So absolutely, like, I can see that for sure. And um, I'd be interested to see like what further connections because you really you really know that series well. So I'm sure that you'll be picking up on more if there's if there are more to find. Oh, I will make those connections even if they are not there in real life. <laughs> I will just keep discovering. We we somehow always find a way to support to support our theories. Although in this case, I think that you kind of really hit the nail on the head there for sure. Oh, thank you, Kim. Uh, and I sure. also think that here it's also great that we've talked about this before, but how Joyce is now not no longer a team of one, and of course she's going to become an even larger team once Bob the Brain gets involved. But even just having Mike, like. When this first opened, I was nervous that Joyce was in a different room than Will. And then it was great to see, like, Mike just slept on the floor beside him, you know? And so they're able to kind of, like, divvy up the responsibilities. Mike is brought in as an ally. I just, like, I really like this evolution. Yeah, I absolutely agree for sure. And I think that, um, you know, like, Will must be so relieved to have this, uh, community of people around him that he can trust as well with, like, these incredibly crazy right uh like secrets right like that in season one we had everyone thinking that joyce was crazy for believing this stuff it's just such a nice change that uh nobody thinks anybody's crazy everybody's on side and we got a whole you know team of people that's right takes a lot of brains to figure this stuff out or one bob the brain (laughs) One brain named Bob. Yes. Well, we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, So that cuts to Hopper exploring in those vine tunnels. Um, He's getting deeper and deeper. He starts to hear screeching and growling. You called this. That that is not atmosphere. That screeching is very real. As seen by, like, (laughs) Hopper pulling a gun as soon as he hears the screeching. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Now I know for sure screeching is happening. Oh, and... So, uh, okay, second side note, good thing we're only in scene two. Um, (laughs) This is going to be so long. This is going to be really, yeah. One of my favorite movies from, like, the 80s slash my favorite musicals of all time is Little Shop of Horrors. And you cannot help but at this point be, like, very deep into Little Shop of Horrors uh, nostalgia in terms of, like, vines crawling on people and whatever. Um, And my dad was actually um, played... Audrey too, the plant on the Canadian um, professional like launch of it in Toronto in the 80s and the play ends differently than the movie the play ends horrifically <laughs> where everyone <laughs> dies and the movie ends positively where they beat the plant and they actually this month are re-releasing the movie only in certain theaters with the original dark ending that they thought was too dark to release in film really um, they actually yeah shot, which I think is like they shot they the shot dark it. ending and then re-shot they shot it with the a dark happy ending, ending. Yeah, and they redid it with the happy ending. But at the end in the, of the play, the musical, when my dad did it in Toronto, the lights go dark, and then they dropped vines from the ceiling onto everybody's like head and shoulders. <laughs> from... <laughs> so it's like, and like this is like before that would have been like a really common thing. And he said never failed. I think he did like two hundred and some runs of it. Everyone screamed every single time. So Hopper walking through all these vines, and the vine following him, and the vines closing over the hole, like. I don't know. You can't help but think of a plant from another planet. So 
Um, Crazy. So the, yeah, the uh, plant spits spores and whatever into his face, his vision. Yeah, uh, I put blurry. spores. I don't know if they are spores, but. It's something not good. Yeah. Not good. Uh, and he collapses unconsciously while the hole over top of him closes, which is going to cause problems when he wakes up. So. Yes. So do you think that all of these are all of these vines like one giant being? I think that. Yes. OK. What do you think? Like yeah, there's like a, mother, a central that. nervous yeah. system of some kind. Yeah. And like are the Demogorgons related to it in some way? Right. Like, OK, so- I know that I'm jumping ahead. And I know yeah. I, I said I wouldn't, but like, okay, so question when, um, when Hopper like vomits after he wakes up from passing out because of these spores, does he vomit up a slug? So I saw that in your notes before we started recording and I went back and watched it like five times. <laughs> so I hadn't, I hadn't thought that, um, on my two watches, but on rewatching it, I can totally see like there's a dark thing like that comes out of his mouth mucusy thing yeah but it's so so hard to catch like and so, he doesn't pause or react other than like re- you know like recovering it just is when barb really and will were up. kept captive in the upside down and will had the like giant viney snake thing in his mouth Coming that they pulled mouth. pardon Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming out of his mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So uh, I guess what I'm wondering is, were those the same types of vines that we are seeing Hopper in the tunnels with now? And if that is the case, then like it has to be connected to the Demogorgon because that was the Demogorgon's like lair, wasn't it? Or did we just make that assumption? Well, and now that, like, I mean, the Upside Down is full of vines. It's been weird since it started, right? Like, you can even picture um, the pool at Steve's when it, you know, goes to the Upside Down. It's like vines everywhere. Like, it is, it's kind of been a common recurring thing. So is it the Demogorgons or is it just referential of the Upside Down and something that, you know, like, is very common there and so they're both from the same place but not not necessarily as connected but you're right I mean totally the the thing coming out of Will's mouth that they pull out that seemed to be that he seemed to be like incubating the slug which I think turned into um you know a demogorgon yeah Yeah, I don't know I just if this is a moment where he is supposed to cop up a slug it's extremely like Either they're going to have to reference it again at some point. Like, I don't think a lot of the audience would have caught it or I just watched and was an idiot. Like, I, I – but I did watch it a couple times thinking it was just, like, black bile. Yeah, no, been you're, that he's reacting you're absolutely right. I don't think that the show was trying to alert us to, like, this is him coughing up a slug right now. If that was the intention, you're right. They're going to have to refer back to it, which we have seen a little bit, like, when Will is facing down the shadow monster, the show cuts back to Bob. Bob's speech that he gives about the clown in the car, right? So we have seen a little bit of that this season. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that the show might do that if it is sort of intending to imply that. But maybe I'm just reading too much into things and like 
it was a very quick cutaway. There's no way that the show intended us to have come to that conclusion at this point. This is just me like maybe over <laughs> intensely watching. No, it's super, <laughs> super interesting. And it definitely like it's clearly it's all interconnected, obviously. But I mean, it's like this fine is not what we dealt with as the big bad in the last one. And yet it seems to be coming from something very centrally. It is enormous and very pervasive. It seems to grow throughout the upside down. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So more vine stuff to come. I'm just trying to piece together all of the interconnectedness between the vines, Mm -hmm. the shadow monster and the demogorgon. They're like, I I haven't really pieced together how they're all related yet. Um, so Nancy and Jonathan, they stop at a roadside motel for the night. Uh, they are outside of Hawkins, uh, still on their mission to burn the lab to the ground. So, uh, they awkwardly ask for a double room. And then once they are sort of settled in bed, they get a moment of deja vu. Cause of course they had a slumber party last season. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess maybe slumber party might be a little bit light for the fact that they like, <laughs> almost died and then slept over together so yeah um but they do have sort of like a really cute moment where they're comparing scars from their self-inflicted wounds from last season when they were fighting the demogorgon and then um it seems as though nancy did choose jonathan last season right right like, Jonathan, you idiot! You like I just idiot. <laughs> and he and he was like, uh, you know, the, well, you know, there was Steve when she says, "What happened to you? Like, why did you disappear?" And she was like, "Well, I waited for you." And he was like, "Well, only for a month. A month? Like that's a while, isn't it?" I I really think that this like gets back to that Jonathan is using Will as a crutch beyond the support that Will needs and like recognizing like of course his brother just kind of come back from the dead but there's like so many examples throughout these five episodes of like you know he wants to go trick-or-treating with Will he uses Will as an excuse for like why he needs to do whatever and then he spent a whole month what at Will's side he couldn't spend any time with Nancy they had both just been through something like super intense like I you know, it's not like she was like three days later she went back to Steve. Um, so I think that was a mistake, Jonathan. I, I agree. And so now I'm torn. God, I'm so fickle. Because. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Uh-oh. so now what I'm picturing is that like, I'm like, okay, so Jonathan kind of fucked this up a little bit. And I do think they're very cute together. But is it because. He's not, you know, like maybe he's just like not ready to be in a relationship or something. I don't know. And then we have like uh, a very quick scene with Steve and Dustin. But like, honestly, Dustin in this whole episode was just my favorite of all time. And I really liked Steve in this scene. And I have like I pictured Dustin and Steve going on like an adventure together to take down the Demogorgon. And I am living for it. I like I really kind of I kind of see myself switching teams after all this time. (laughs) Oh, God, I don't know what I want. I mean, but this is like what I like is that, you know, it isn't so black and white and cut and dry. And there are positives to both guys. And she isn't just, you know, with the cool guy because it. um, I mean, he's not the cool guy anymore. Maybe that's why. Maybe honestly, that's why I like him better this season is yeah 
is because like he isn't the cool guy douche. Now he's the guy who's kind of getting picked on a little bit and he's chosen a good person in Nancy instead of his douchey friends and whatever. I don't know. I just like I like him more this season than last season. And I think that the direction the show is taking him is going to make him even more likable still. Yes. And I, like, I think this is going to get him past the we have to just ignore what's happening, um, you know, which is where kind of I think he pushed Nancy away inadvertently. But um, but I did just I don't know, in the scene that when she turns over, I just wanted Jonathan to be like, like to say what he's really thinking. And I know just... it made me disappointed in Jonathan. Yeah. I, I mean, like. I like I just my opinions turn with the tide. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, I like. Jonathan, oh my Stevie. god, I'm such a Nancy. I just can't make up my mind. <laughs> Why doesn't she just date them both? I think that that would be a great solution. <laughs> Remember when I thought Billy was a catch? I mean, we can't trust my judgment. <laughs> That's very true. We'll always remember when Billy was the hot new guy. Oh, my God. I was blinded by the mullet. It's so true. And the tight pants. Yes. I mean, like, he didn't even have his shirt off then. That's right. That was when he was still wearing a shirt. So now it should be even more impressive. Oh, God. My judgment cannot be trusted, obviously. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Um, so a quick scene with Will waking up in a panic where we see Mike has been sleeping on his floor and he tells, uh, Joyce, who's still working with the vine drawings, trying to figure out what they mean, that he saw Hopper and he thinks he's going to die. So that's him being able to spy, uh, on the shadow monster slash vines. Yeah. Um, and that cuts to the tunnels where we have this scene where Hopper does wake up, vomits something, um, and he can't get out anymore by the way he came he comes to the crossroad where he's going to leave a piece of uh, cigarette, and we just, this is where we first see that the vines are kind of like following him, yeah. which is not going to bode well in the future. These vines are terrifying. Yeah, man. Uh, so we have a breakfast scene at Lucas's house. This is the first time that we have really seen it, uh, Lucas's family. We we did see his mom and sister in a quick shot taking a picture uh, in an earlier episode. But now we see uh, the whole family. His dad is there and he's asking his dad for some advice about women and like, how does he make his mom not mad at him when he's, you know, like done something wrong or not even <laughs> Just like right. anytime she's mad. Uh, so yeah. he gets some advice from his dad and then he says he's going to go hang out with Dustin and he grabs his bike and uh, and is on his way. But he very conspicuously rides right past Dustin's house where Dustin's mom is calling oh. for Muse. And she's so Sorry, upset. Oh. Oh, my oh my God. I just love Dustin's mom so much. I know. So inside, Dustin is pretending to be on the phone with a neighbor and tells his mom that Muse has been spotted. So he gets her out of the house uh, by telling her to go out and, and look for her in that area while he stays behind in case Muse comes home. So as soon as she's gone, these like this has to be like my favorite series of scenes in the show so far, honestly. It's, it's like, amazing. I loved yeah. it so much. So... Dustin goes into action. He makes a trail of baloney from his bedroom to the storm cellar. He puts on a bunch of protective gear, like like goalie pads goalie. and stuff. Full-blown goalie equipment, yeah. Um, 
so he uh, <laughs> he opens the door to his bedroom and then like runs away in his goalie outfit to well, the Well, goalie shed. gear is not conducive to running no, it at is all. Not. As we... <laughs> uh, so he hides in the shed and then watches from the shed as Dart comes out of the bedroom following the trail of baloney. And just when it looks like he's going to go into the open cellar doors, he changes direction and comes directly for Dustin. So there's like this moment of panic and then Dustin like musters up his courage. Yeah. And then like catches Dart by surprise by like slamming open the shed door, screaming at Dart. Like you could actually see Dart like get shocked and try to change direction. And then he whacks him with his hockey stick and sends him like flailing down into the cellar. And then he slams the door shut. Um, It was like he was like, you know, shooting a goal. He got got that. He got that. was amazing. Dart puck into the cellar in one go. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, sorry, bud. You killed my cat. I know. (laughs) You ate my cat. Yeah. You know, like it's just. No, we're oh my friendship God. over. And t- and it was like the back and forth between um, Dustin and his mom, too, when his mom was leaving. It was just oh. like, how did the babies get over there? Love you. I, know. I love you. <laughs> like, I don't know. She just killed me. I love her. And when he's on the phone with, like, the dial tone, and he just keeps <laughs> making up conversation where he's like, uh-huh, you too. Yep. But, like, he just keeps going. He's very convincing. He's the, the best. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love you, uh, Dustin. And like, yeah, there's gonna be more good Dustin scenes to come because I agree he was a star in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so a trucker is with drops off L outside of Terry Ives's house. She's hitchhiked, um, and she goes and knocks on the door. And Terry's sister Becky thinks that she's like trying to sell something. Um, and Eleven uses her powers to unlock and open the door and tells. Becky that she wants to see Mama, um, which obviously really surprises Becky. Terry is sitting in uh, the chair like we saw earlier in this uh, season. She's repeating those same words. Eleven introduces herself in person. You can see she kind of expects a reaction, and she Terry does not react to her presence. No. Um, I th- I do. I really like the fact, too. I mean, this is just sort of more the same that we have praised Stranger Things for already. But Becky, Terry Ives's sister, um, she sees Eleven open the door with her mind and then immediately recognizes her as being the long lost daughter of her comatose sister or, you know, semi comatose. I don't know mm-hmm. how you would describe her state. But, um, you know, like she she immediately accepts that this is her long-lost niece and that her long-lost niece has telekinetic powers, period. That's, you know, I love that, that we don't have to go through any kind of is she, isn't she, what do these powers mean? She just accepts it and we move forward. And I went back to the last season just to watch the scene where Hopper and Joyce go and meet Becky the first time, Mm -hmm. just to try and see, like, and she is, like, crazy skeptical and... Um, you know, kind of mocking that whole thing. But I think that you've had some time to, you know, consider, um, you know, Hopper and Joyce's visit. And then you also like, it's hard. You just watched with your own eyes that happened and agreed. Like it's, 
and there probably is something about it in terms of like Elle's presence, I think that would help to make that understood, you know, yeah. by someone who has always maybe kind of believed it, but hasn't at the same time. Um, but it is a very kind of poignant set of scenes between even just Becky and Terry that, you know, Elle kind of brings together. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so Jonathan and Nancy, they arrive at their destination and it's Murray's house. How did, how did we not get this? Of course it's Uh, Murray. I was really thinking that Murray was in Hawkins, honestly, but I mean, yeah, he wasn't somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, also, what does what does Murray live in? Because it looks like seriously. <laughs> okay, whatever whatever is, he is charging that is causing Barb's parents to <laughs> sell their house, he's not spending I it know. on accommodation. He no. lives in a fucking dump. It's a dump it's for paranoid awful. people. Yeah. <laughs> like spray paint on the door door. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. He's a weird guy. Um, but <laughs> I is. like him. Me too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he answers the door in a robe, of course, and uh, lets them in. And he's like very proudly showing them his like um, oh, very stereotypical investigation wall where he has posted yeah. all of the clues, including like red string to like connect the dots and whatever. And then like he's super cocky about it. And then Nancy starts like poking holes in all of the shit he got wrong. And you can just see him deflate. <laughs> oh, it's just like we've seen that wall. You're absolutely right. We've seen that wall in everything. And 99% of the time the wall is used, it's effective. Like homeland, law and order. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like regularly put to good use. And she's just like, your timeline's wrong. When he's like, That's right. every, the answer is on that wall. I just need to put it together. I would <laughs> like to see wrong. someone on a show at some point have this wall up there, but have the balls to use like purple string. <laughs> <laughs> Blue string, purple string. Exactly. You like just whatever no. whatever kind of yarn you got lying around. This is official crime solving string, Kim. Don't <laughs> it must be red. Props. Yeah, it must be red. Yeah. Uh, so um, they tell uh, Murray he's going to want to sit down because they have a big old story to tell him. So uh, they prepare to do just that. So Billy is dropping Max off at the arcade. He's a total asshole. Um, and yeah, like speeds off. I love though when Max gives him the finger on his way out. I'm just like, yes. Yes. Um, so Max goes to play Dig Dug. There's an out of order sign on it. The best cast person in the entire thing of Stranger Things is this teenage worker guy. <laughs> like, I just absolutely love him. I feel like I know him from somewhere. I want to look him up Something. because he looks yeah, very look familiar. Yeah. It's just like so perfect. And the way he just slowly eats cheesies in every single scene. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so he says, don't worry, I've got you hooked up. There's another machine in the back. But of course, Lucas says, I guess prostituted out Nancy for this whole scenario. So it'll be interesting to see how he delivers on that. But Right, like Lucas, what is that going to look like when and the next right? time Lucas goes into the arcade and he's with Mike and like the he's teenager is like Lucas... I'm waiting for my date with Mike's sister. That's like, <laughs> God. It's going to be like, oh, what the fuck, so dude? <laughs> and it's not even, like, I mean, I get it. Like, obviously, things ended poorly with Lucas and Max the last time, and he's trying to get her back. But it's not like telling her immediately um, delivers on something needed in the investigation. I think Max is going to play a very crucial role in the future. But you know what I mean? Like, it's yes. not like 
he had to do it to get Well, something. ultimately, I think he's following his dad's advice, which I kind of like Absolutely. breezed past. But his dad said that like when his mom is when Lucas's mom is mad at his dad, his dad gives him gives her anything she wants. And what yeah. Max wants is to be let in on the secret. So I yeah. think that Lucas has made this decision. I don't think it's going to go over well with the rest of the group that he took it upon himself to inform her of all of this without discussing it with them first. But I definitely think like in this triangle of Dustin, Max and Lucas, I mean, Dustin, I'm sorry. You're just not you're not holding any weight in this. Like Lucas and Max are the ones who really have the connection, it seems. And uh, I don't know. He just felt like he really wanted to do this. So he did it. And he did Agreed. not get the reaction he was hoping for, though. No. Um, so this is just the part, first part where he opens up and he says he wants he needs a safe place to tell her and that it is a matter of life or death. And she doesn't understand, but she says she accepts the risk. Of course, we're going to find out that, you know, she doesn't believe it. But exactly. Um, yeah. So Will's uh, drawing another piece of the puzzle, uh, which is the portion that um, is what he saw in his in his dream of where Hopper is is in the vine tunnels. Uh, so Mike finds uh, finds where it goes in the like the big puzzle in the whole house, but they they still don't like understand what does this big puzzle mean. So meanwhile, Bob the Brain shows up. He has oh, puzzle games that he is bringing for Will to make him feel better. And Joyce tries to get rid of him, but then realizes like, hey, Bob could probably be really useful in this puzzle we're trying to solve um who's incredibly smart and yet also incredibly gullible and trusting bob like why don't we bring him in (laughs) this is amazing what they're able to like set up rules that they're not going to tell him what the fuck is going on (laughs) still able to solve it i feel like i'm saying this about literally every character but in particular the new characters that have been introduced this season are impeccable like yeah uh, we have this existing core group of people that we had in season one that we that we just absolutely adore and i think that it could be hard to be a new character a new actor brought in in a second season and then have to like i don't know play second fiddle to the core group. But everyone that they have introduced this season, I am absolutely loving. With the exception of, like, you know, Billy, who I'm not supposed to like. And I loathe him as the show uh, intended because they're doing such a great job of making him horrible. Like, just really well done. Yeah. Um, So, uh, like, Bob comes in and is absolutely, like, gobsmacked by the vines that have taken over the entire house. Um, And Joyce reminds him that he's not allowed to ask questions. So of course he's having a hard time at first getting the context of what they, what it is they need him to do. Um, And then he starts to get really concerned. Like Will doesn't look well. Joyce doesn't look well. He thinks the whole thing is like a bad idea. But then like, as he's having this conversation with Joyce, he notices a shape that is familiar. It's the shape of lover's lake. And then it's like all concerns are abandoned. He is, is just obsessed and excited with solving the puzzle. So uh, he realizes that the puzzle is actually a map of Hawkins. And the dead giveaway was that the vines don't cross water. Is that significant? I just assumed it was in the sense that like it needs to go through. Like logistically. 
Yeah, like just like the weeds analogy, like it's going to go where it's the easiest to go and it's to tunnel underneath, you know, a lake, which tends to be more like rock, you know, it's it, much harder. So it's going to take the path of least resistance, which means it's going to go around all the sources of water. That makes perfect sense to me. And I think that that could very well be 100% the explanation. But I did think a little bit about, yes. about whether or not that was some kind of, uh, indication that the vines or the shatter monster don't like water in the same way that they don't like light and heat. Um, like, and have we when, seen anything? Yeah, we've seen. Well, I mean, obviously, we've seen it react to light and heat, but have we seen anything where they've been around water? Not really, right? Well, not really, except that I was thinking, like, maybe the bath that Will was about to take, and he was very scared. Maybe it just it wasn't just about heat. Maybe it was also the about heat, water. Yeah. And then when Barb um, is sort of transported to the upside down, Steve's pool is empty. I mean, I don't yes, know. Maybe true. maybe I'm just uh, grasping at straws, no, 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 but like something to think about. Yep. Uh, yeah, Bob for the win. <laughs> and I love that once he starts figuring it out, it's like he forgets the fact that he's remotely concerned. Like then exactly. he's just into it again. Like I can totally see why when he says that brain teasers used to make him feel better when he was sick all the time as a kid. It's like, yeah, I can absolutely see that behavior. Yeah. Uh, so kind of two quicker scenes in the tunnels hopper is trying to reach someone over his radio he stumbles in on a room full of bones uh and like a furry creature of some kind like are these bones what are these bones this well, is actually the scene I had the hardest time Okay, with. I'm not going to lie. I did not see a furry creature. I thought well, I thought that it was like you know the like spout part of the of the plant structure that's bat out all of like the spores yes okay so i thought it was like similar stuff to that sort of all around the room that were literally like a plant with teeth that were like you know um sort of attacking his feet and stuff but i mean like this looked very similar to me in terms of the bones and stuff as the space did where barb and will were found last season yeah, I don't. I didn't see the teeth. Like honestly, Kim, I I really did struggle with. I mean, it's incredibly dark and it's hard to see what you're seeing. So to me, it looked like the carcass of like an animal that was moving because all the vines underneath are kind of moving. Oh, maybe you're right. On. Um, I literally then, thought that it was like that he was like stepping back from like a plant that was trying to eat his foot. Now that I say it out loud, I recognize that that well, doesn't no, and sound like, that's, right. I mean, that's kind of where you go. But then the fact that it only like, he tries to basically like strangle, choke, hold him when it does get him. But it's obviously been able to feed on things. Yeah, so remember area? last season in that scene where Barb and Will were found, we had talked about the fact that there were bones everywhere and yet Barb's body was still there yeah. in one piece and that Will was still alive obviously. So, I think we had talked just sort of in passing about like I guess some of the people are for eating and some of the people are for incubation. I don't yeah. know, but like it really feels like a like a layer like a den of an animal type deal with bones everywhere you know yeah and I was wondering if those were probably more likely to be animal bones 
just given we haven't been hearing about a bunch of disappearances um, and, you know, it'd be easy for it to bring animals kind of into the layer, you know what I mean? Yes. Rather than people for now until the six foot five sheriff stumbles into its its layer. But like until then, it hasn't been that common that there's people. Um, He is able to discover during this that they, the vines don't like fire. He has, because he has his lighter with them. So he does make a torch out of his shirt sleeve. um, And he burns a hole. And here is he just like trying to dig himself out from the wall. Is that? I think so. That was the impression that I got is like, I don't know. Essentially, he revealed... He, like, moved the vines away enough to reveal pa- a pack a patch of, like, earth or something. D- and dirt his, where he could try. Yeah, and he's yeah. Dig, trying to dig. Which obviously doesn't work because that's really hard. Because yeah. <laughs> um, it took him, like, all day to dig the, the hole down. Digging the hole up is going to be even harder. Yeah. Um, and then just quickly, we have Dustin on his walkie-talkie. This is also a great Dustin scene where he's just, like, cleaning and, like, doing all kinds of, like, Awful chores, including burying news and removing the blood from the carpet and uh, telling everybody he's messing. He's trying to get a hold of everybody that there's a code red and this is like a huge emergency and absolutely no one is answering. He is completely abandoned by everybody. That um, has to be a very like weird feeling for him. This is not a group of friends that leaves you hanging. Agreed. And, uh, and it's like he's not upset that everyone's hanging out without him but like they're it is a code red like he has a big deal there's a demogorgon in his cellar growing by like the minute it's a concern i'm just gonna say i'm sorry i just have to say it i mean like will and mike are dealing with some crazy shit right now dustin has a demogorgon in the cellar i'm like lucas you're dropping the ball for your girlfriend that's right. You're, You're the only one who doesn't Max have some crazy shit going on. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't know, but still. Well, this is a big deal that no one's answering. So, yeah. yes. Dustin's going to get it, take it into his own hands, though, and figure it out. Uh, so like, he does end up talking. I was to, just going to uh, say, like, it's not that no one answers. It's just the wrong <laughs> Sinclair answers the walkie-talkie. <laughs> Erica! Erica! The best. Uh, so she tells Dustin to shut up and turns off the walkie-talkie. So yes, yeah. she is not an effective communicator and not who Dustin needed to talk to. Not at all. Uh, so Barry, back at Terry Ives' house, Elle is asking Becky about Terry's con- um, condition. And Becky says that they don't expect her to get better, but she's not in pain. And she says it's like she's stuck in a dream. And, okay, I'm just going to pause here for a moment and throw another thing out there. Do you feel like maybe, like, the show has brought up dreams or dreamlike mm-hmm. states several times? You know, when Will says that he feels like he can't wake up. And uh, I had another example that I wish I had written down because I don't remember right now. But there was at least one other example, I think, where it was they had talked about like sort of a dream state before this one, which made me wonder if there was significance there. Yeah, I kind of went there too. Um, Although then when you see her getting that electroshock therapy, I mean, you know, it just seems so legit that that could have done that to her. So. Oh yeah. I definitely feel like that did do it to her. Oh, I see. So you're not like questioning whether there's like a relationship in the kind of dreamlike state 
Or no, just, no, I'm just like referenced. just like yeah. a, a theme that the show is bringing up, and yeah. oftentimes when the show brings up uh, a theme that seems unrelated or. Um, I don't know, like they bring it up in passing, it sort of there's a later payoff for it. So I don't know, it was just sort of something that I was thinking about, but I don't really have anything in terms of like theories or um, thoughts well, and on like, where that could be foreshadowing. It takes me back to the thing about True Sight where it's, you know, if Will has it, then, you know, one of the things about it is that you don't, you can see those things, but you may not interpret them correctly or the things may not be as they seem. So while Terry may not seem to be a great communicator in our world, where else is she able to do it? Um, you know, given what we're about to see her her abilities kind of look like, or is there something else to it where she's able to communicate more than we just initially assume on, you know, one of the planes and those things are now multi, multi, multi-dimensional. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, too, whether she's able to communicate anything other than this loop that she's living in. Um, yeah. So uh, ultimately, um, Elle is uh, concerned about her condition, and we're going to see more of that payoff in a little bit. Um, she is told by Becky that Terry never gave up hope that she would come home one day. And Elle really focuses on the word home, just like she did when Hopper suggested that the um, sort of cabin in the woods was her home. Um, she's she uh, she really picks up on that. And then she's taken to her room that is set up for a baby and is left untouched uh, with a crib in it and toys. And it's set up really beautifully. And then tells uh, Elle that she can get her a real bed and she can stay there if she wants. And Elle agrees. Um, yeah, I'm just like, I'm, I am, I like, I hope that Becky is genuine. I feel like she seems to be uh, just lovely. I think that this would be a really nice place yeah, for agreed. Elle. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, so Elle sees the light flicker in the hallway and Becky sort of passes it off as bad wiring, but Elle follows the flickering lights all the way through the house leading back to Terry Ives and she recognizes that Terry is trying to communicate. She has a bloody nose and then she flicks the TV to a uh, channel that just has static. So Elle knows that she wants to talk to her. Um. So Bob and Joyce and the boys are trying to devise some sort of like uh, scale for the map and they're like measuring different pieces of it uh, Bob is able to get it, the general area of where that X is where Hopper might be Joyce is getting increasingly frantic so she grabs the map they run out of the house and they decide they're gonna all go together to this place to try and find yeah. it um, and then <laughs> Dustin is continues on his mission to find everybody I love this too so he arrives at Mike's house Karen is drinking wine again and talking on the phone. For two hours. Um, for two hours. Do you remember those days when you used to call someone and you just got a busy signal and it was because someone was on the oh phone? Oh, my God. Man. Like, Thank God those days are over. Anymore. I mean, people don't and, call each uh, other now anyway. <laughs> like... That's right. They text people. You don't get a busy yeah. signal. Uh so douche's douche dad's name is Ted. It was unavoidable here that I finally heard it said aloud. I know I could have looked it up before, but yeah, like agree. I, I just didn't care about him enough to look it up. I did look up Becky's totally. name because I didn't know Terry Ives' sister's name, so I looked her up. But I right. like <laughs> this is how She's little important. we care about this character. Uh, although he was actually really funny in this scene, he was. 
Uh, he's like super deadpan and just Dustin, the way he asks these questions is amazing. And first he wants Mike, then he wants Nancy. Both times Ted has to super annoyingly yell at Karen, who's on the phone, where their kids are. Uh, and when I love when he's like, our kids don't live here anymore or they've moved out. Yeah. Like, so hilarious. Uh, so Dustin's like, you're just completely useless. <laughs> Son of a bitch. You're good for nothing <laughs> or something like Language. that. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong, yeah. Dustin. You're saying what we're no, all you're thinking. Not. And then this is where he runs into Steve, which is where your heart got won back over again. Who has... So speaking of um, the also theme of men apologizing to women no matter what, Steve is practicing an apology to Nancy for her saying it's total bullshit and she doesn't love him. Um, <laughs> I mean... He's like, what do I have to Steve, apologize Steve, I can't... I, I just... You play with my heart, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> this was adorable very cute and i also love how seriously he takes dustin like dustin's just like uh you know are those are either of the are those flowers for mr or mrs wheeler no okay let's go <laughs> and uh he wants to know if he still has his bat with the nails in it so the demogorgon smashing bat as i prefer yeah so um, is the next scene with Dustin and Steve going to be the two of them like tentatively opening the cellar doors and like bashing in Dart's head? I like I am imagining that. I think Dustin's concern is the speed at which Dart has yeah. grown. I think it's roughly reached the golden retriever size that I projected two episodes ago. Uh, but it is like 100 times grosser than I was envisioning at that time. <laughs> Um, so like if you give it another day, yikes, like it's, it's more than tripled in size. Uh, and we know how big it can get. Um, yeah, so, you got to yeah. kill it while it's small enough. <laughs> so Demogordon killing tips with Kim, kill it while it's small enough. Exactly. I mean, he's not going to connect with Will and Mike, I think for a while now, based on how this episode ends. Lucas, hopefully he will meet up with, but I imagine that that's where they're going is to tackle the cellar. So, yeah, you're probably right. Um, So Hopper is still trying to claw his way out of the tunnel, but it's just too small. He's not getting anywhere. Uh, He collapses in exhaustion and then the vines just start to take over. They wind their way around his legs. And then like by the time he realizes what's happening, it is too late. Like the vines have him. They cover his whole body. It is like incredibly claustrophobic to watch. Like what a good job the show did of just making this the worst possible uh, scenario for Hopper. Like the even as a viewer, I felt uncomfortable. Agreed. Oh, no, it was not cool. Yeah. So and then there's this shot above him where his car is just sitting in the middle of nowhere with absolutely no one around. It is a good thing you have a friend like Joyce Hopper, because like, I'm just going to say you do really good police work most of the time. But like, tell Tell a buddy where you're going. Like, how hard would it have been? Like, if I'm not back in five hours, like. Hopper is bad at communicating. (laughs) You're traveling to an alternate dimension or possibly into alien infested. Take precautions. Same dimension. I mean, take precautions. I agree. This was a bad choice. Bad choice. Uh, So Lucas has told Max about the events of last year while in that back room. And... Max does not react the way he thinks. He uh, thinks that it's a story that Lucas has made up to impress her. Um, and 
Lucas is pissed that he trusted her with this story that she doesn't believe. Uh, she says she wanted to be part of the group, not part of some joke. And, you know, was this some sort of like initiation right to tell her this story? Uh, and he tells her that the most important rule of their party is friends don't lie. And they're at this point, she's stormed out into the arcade. And so she starts to speak really loudly about you know, well, why is the Dig Dug game out of commission then? Because that is a lie. Um, and also she says the words 11. She talks about the lab. Like she talks about all kinds yeah. of um, highly secretive stuff. And she's yelling it. And uh, Lucas, so it's Lucas's reaction here, right? The fact that he is genuinely yes. afraid uh, and genuinely worried that she is going to get them killed that, you know, it seems like he wouldn't take the joke this far if it wasn't serious. Yeah. So she seems to start to believe him, but she still asks for proof and like, you're going to get it, Max. Just you wait. There's Demogorgons running around. The vines are taking over the world. I mean, give it a minute. Demogorgon. You're going to wish you, That's you're right. going to wish you hadn't seen you... it, but it's going to happen. Uh, and then the scene ends super creepily when Max leaves. She tells Lucas not to follow her out because Billy is out there. But Billy sees the fact that um, Lucas was there and he challenges her on that. And then he says, you know what happens when you lie. Yikes. I like, I mean, he is scary to another level. Yeah. I Yeah. Like, remember last season we were like... Those bullies aren't that bad. And then they like almost <laughs> murdered Mike. What's Billy going right. to do? Billy's a serial killer. <laughs> so I mean, like at the levels uh, of fucking scariness that Billy is right now, he's got bodies in the basement. I mean, this yeah. is the level we're talking about here, I think. Yeah, it's not good. No. Um, so uh, Nancy and Jonathan, they finished playing their recording for um, for Murray of the Dr. Owen's conversation and they wonder if it's incriminating enough to sort of like bring down the whole lab and Marie needs to think on it like over a glass of vodka and this is uh, where all the money is going that's right to the vodka so he concludes that the story is too crazy for people to believe and like he believes it but he's like the general population is not going to believe this story. It's so outlandish that all they need is one authority member, like someone in authority to say it's a hoax and mm -hmm. they will, they will just eat that up because most people don't want to look behind the curtain. They like the curtain. It protects them or whatever. So after taking a sip of too strong vodka, he realizes <laughs> that what they need to do is water down the story. So uh, Nancy is right there with him. Jonathan seems to be playing catch up a little bit. But between Murray and Nancy, they kind of come up with a potential story for why Barb dies. So um, potentially it's uh, dangerous toxins or something like yeah. that that Barb was exposed to. It's something scary but familiar that makes the story more tolerable. I like it. I mean, like, what would it look like? What would it look like if the Demogorgons and the Vines and the Upside Down and everything just sort of became common knowledge in Hawkins? Like, are they going to be able to keep all of this shit under wraps forever? The Vines do seem difficult to keep under wraps. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are enormous. Uh, yeah, I know. I 
I they mean, mean they've done it for a year. It, it, I, yes, like from a practical perspective, I don't believe in many conspiracy theories because I agree with the general consensus that that many people can't keep their mouths shut for that long. It's just too, you know, unlikely. Um, but I think, and that's where my problem is with this too. But then there's, you know, these this is conspiracy theory kind of 101 stuff here, right? Where um you make it sound like something else but it's actually something like incredibly worse or uh everybody would be able to row in the same direction in terms of keeping it on the map off the map hawkins is some nowhere town with very few people in it i don't know like it's yeah maybe it's not implausible in the world of the straight of stranger things i mean i personally hope and suspect that they will probably keep it as a you know like as a big secret amongst our core group and then the ones who are responsible in the lab and whatever um i was just kind of throwing it out there because this is a giant secret to keep hidden on a long-term basis especially if absolutely you know my theory about there being several demogorgons is correct like I mean, if that's happening and they're running loose around the town, like that's going to be hard to cover up. At the same time, I think it's more fun to have it be uh, to have it be a secret that our group is the only ones who really know the truth about. Um, So Dr. Owens is shown some soil from the pumpkin patch in a quick scene here that looks very normal and tests very normal in terms of you know, like poisonous substances and stuff. But when it's exposed to heat, it swirls like a hurricane, Mm. not unlike what the shadow Shadow monster monster. looked like when it invaded Will's body. And I think interestingly, too, is that they heat one beaker and all of the beakers react, (gasps) you know? (sighs) I just thought all the beakers were on fire. No, I think they're only heating one. So I think like in terms of our discussion earlier about like a centralized nervous system, like, and Will's reaction at the end of this episode, too, that if it something happens to one piece of it, then all of it is affected, question Wow, mark. yes, I think that that's bang on. Dun-dun-dun. Also, man, I'm really just throwing out wackadoo shit this episode. But, I mean, like, I'm just gonna, like, the, they're all abstract pieces. I don't have any really good theories. But, um, so when we were talking about... Uh, the lesson, Phineas Gage, is that his name? The lesson that Mr. Yes, Clark it is. was? Yes, the railway worker. Yep. Exactly. Who, like, appeared to be physically normal, but behaved in this completely different way. Um, and we assumed that that was what Will was going to be behaving like after he was invaded by the shadow monster. And that really hasn't come to pass. So, I don't know. Maybe it's, like, maybe it's bigger than just Will. I'm, I don't know that it would be all that exciting if that, culminated into soil that looks and appears normal but like behaves wildly (laughs) differently but like maybe it is uh you know beyond will and maybe we could see other people or other things around the town that are affected by the invasion of the vines and the shadow monster and they start acting differently like i haven't given up on that theory uh even though we haven't really seen it materialize in will well, I feel like there's still the opportunity for it to materialize, materialize in Will because the like it's getting stronger. That's uh, true. But I think that's a good point. Like kind of like a Children of the Corn thing. Like uh, everybody yeah. ends up kind of yeah. Yeah, exactly. The children of the pumpkin patch. <laughs> and instead of blonde hair, it's all like child gingers. 
That's right. This is clearly where it's going. Um, So Eleven is with Terry, and she's trying to, she is covering her eyes. She's going to go into the black space. Um, This is where her, like, I thought, like, her sister's, you know, where she's like, tell her I'm sorry, and that I, um, you know, didn't believe her, and all of those things. And eventually Eleven's like, stop talking. Um, But, like, I mean, imagine what her sister has found out in the past, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, Um, that's big. So she sees Terry in there, and Terry is still res- repeating the same words. Elle tries to talk to her. She doesn't respond. But then she grabs Elle by the hand, and so you have in the notes, it's like Eleven travels to a second black space, and you're right. Like, it's like she's gone from that one, and suddenly she's into memories somehow. Yeah, I almost felt like, uh, yeah, she's in this black space, and then when Terry grabs her hand it felt to me like she went one level deeper so it's like you know it's in a black space but like a deeper level of black space where it's no longer you know l who is controlling it and choosing to go there now we're in terry's you know sort of black space or something i can't really verbalize it but it really felt to me like they were no longer in that same space yeah i think because the Terry and her chair are gone and said she is seeing these memories. So she sees Terry heavily pregnant and bleeding. Um, She sees her sister telling her to breathe. She um, is in the hospital um, and the baby is being born and crying. She sees Dr. Brenner's face. He removes his face mask and it's him. There's a shot of like sunflowers by the bed. Her sister, when she comes to, tells her the baby died. She says she remembers her crying um, her sister says no, so she realizes that Brenner has taken the baby. Um, and then fast forward years, really, uh, based on the age of L. but she gets a gun from a safe. She stored, which is the great call, Kim, uh, the Thank numbers you. left and right. It's exactly what it was. Uh, she storms the lab. She shoots a security guard. She finds L with uh, eight I was thinking that must have been Callie. So I was I was thinking that Callie seemed quite a bit older than Elle is now. But I went back and watched it, too. And she's a little hard to, like, determine. And I was wondering if maybe she's a little bit different in age, even in that room. Mm-hmm. I am terrible at knowing children's ages. If you listen to our Walking Dead podcast, you'll know that. <laughs> um, but, like, it does seem like... It could be eight. Uh, anyway, she's with another child, uh, but Terry is caught. There's the rainbow by the door, so that's the rainbow word. Um, and she is given, like, ridiculous amounts and voltages of electroshock therapy, which is the 450 number. Yes. Um, and repeat. And, you know, you just – this is pieced together in terms of where those words that she keeps repeating are coming from. So – Yeah, she's, like, stuck in this loop over and over forever it's awful yeah yeah i don't know so that was my question uh too about whether or not there is anything else that terry is capable of communicating if she's stuck in this loop forever and it looks as if you know l experienced the loop many many times in the course of this one interaction in like in terry's memories like i don't know if there is uh if there's another um way for her to communicate other than to show these memories Right. What part of her subconscious, though, knows that Elle is in the room and knows to flicker the lights to bring her back? You know what I mean? Like, there's something else. There's something that's been able to look at her. 
you know, does that have any hope of ever having a breakthrough or is she really just beyond? I do think there there has to be some hope of having a breakthrough. And like to your point, like your great call, too, is that like the memories that she um, is is sort of uh, repeating over and over. This was like imprinted on her brain before she had this, uh, you know, like event, the electroshock therapy that put her in this state like um so I think that there has to be a way why why would it be introduced to us if there wasn't a way for Elle to get some information from it or a way yeah. to break through and uh you know and and have some kind of relationship with her mother I think that there's something more there um I also think that it would be sort of fitting if Elle does go to live with Becky and Terry for Elle to be able to, you know, like have this special relationship where she can communicate with with her mom. Like, I don't know, yeah. but there has yeah, to be a reason for for the memories, at least. Um, so Joyce, Bob, Will, and Mike are following the map to find Hopper, but they don't know exactly where they're going. Uh, so Will uses his now memories to direct them. And I love that Joyce follows the direction without hesitance, uh, without hesitancy and, uh, like smashes through a sign, like drives through a field. Like there's no road there when he, when Will says turn right and she turns right. And it's like literally turn right right now yeah yeah uh and the directions are good because she almost rams right into hopper's vehicle (laughs) and then bob is like hey what's jim doing here (laughs) i know he still has no idea what's going on um and then joyce tells the boys to stay in the car while she and bob go and look for hopper um bob is incredibly good at following directions at least and uh he just goes with it joyce is calling the shots and he follows along so another good call by you the ground is alive with vines um so joyce like smashes through the vines to make a hole where hopper's uh entrance once was and then she and bob both drop down and uh, she is screaming for hopper and bob is just kind of like so shocked to find himself in the middle of will's drawings and like wondering how will knew about all of this stuff uh but he's just going with it like god i love bob i know i know so what do you think like do you read any kind of like awkwardness do you think Joyce's urgency is just for her friend Hopper like does Bob see the tie between them when she I think Bob does not Bob does not see it um but I see it and like when (laughs) (laughs) when Joyce when Joyce and Bob rescue Hopper and then Joyce puts her hands on Hopper's face and says yeah. oh hop like oh hop and to hopper says joyce like ah the love <laughs> thing is amazing i mean and then he kind of like pats pats bob on the tummy and he's like oh hey bob yeah like, hey jim um <laughs> yeah like i definitely feel like there's such a connection between joyce and hopper and like i make like hopper thinks he's dead and then joyce saves him. him like yeah this is a 
this is a duo that can't be beat. And I, honestly, at this point, what I think is going to happen is that Bob is going to be a partner in crime through this whole ordeal. And then at some point, he's going to get really real with himself and with Joyce to say, like, you are living a reality that is just too intense for me. I'm going to move to Maine and I'm going to have a nice, quiet life there. And I, you know, wish that things were different. But I now realize that, like, I got to let you go because I don't belong in this world. And then Joyce makes um, a show of being like, oh, Bob, like, I, you know, I don't want you to go. But meanwhile, she's like, I know I belong with Hopper. This is amazing. Like, I am not even going to watch the rest of this season. Can you just... (laughs) And can you act it out with the voices? Because that's the best part. (laughs) Oh, my God, um, you guys. I can't remember what it was. Like, in season one, it was about this time when I started started doing the voices of all the characters. When I was (laughs) – I don't know why. I just get, like – I get so invested. I can't stop myself. Remember when I was doing Dustin? Dustin was like, she's our friend. She's crazy. (laughs) That was amazing. Oh, oh my god. And scene. Where were we? <laughs> we we were just getting through the love triangle that is Joyce Hopper and Bob. Anyway. But they are rescued by the hazmat suit people. That is Right. The yeah. And then they burn all of the vines and then Will like screeches like a vine. <laughs> he does. I and mean, convulses. Like, like he uh, is yeah. not well. But you know, like the really, I know it sounds stupid, but like the really high pitched screeching noise that we have been hearing in these scenes, that is the noise that is emitting from Will as he's convulsing on the ground while the vines burn in the tunnels. Like, I mean, there's no doubt that the vines being burned and will in this state is connected so like how are they possibly going to defeat the vines and the shadow monster without killing will and i don't think it's good that he has this episode surrounded by people from the lab right that is also a good point you know it's not going to be a like they were able to do all this undercover and now that like yeah it's not going to be good. Do you think there's actually a real possibility that Will doesn't make it out of this? Oh, I hope not. Because I was going to actually say one of the things is that, like, it's so great to have Will around <laughs> in this season. He's just, like, the best actor with his, like, giant eyes. He's, like, so expressive even when he's not saying anything. And, like, I just am really enjoying his, like, character as the fourth person in the group. Um, so, like, that'll be really sad. Yeah, I don't know that I see it happening, but I don't know. Like, there Is it was like how Harry Potter dies when Voldemort <laughs> kills the Horcrux that's living in him, and he like kind of dies, but kind of doesn't. Spoiler then, alert. Maybe it's like I mean that yeah. that does feel right. That that feels right. Ultimately, right. though, I mean, like I, I mean, like this is a big bad. Who is the Barb of this season? Oh, no. Hopefully it's Billy. Billy, Barb. Remember, we already made this connection. It's clearly Billy. So <laughs> no one will be sad. All right. You can die, uh, Billy. I'm fine with that. That's it. It's always a B person. Uh, yes. Well, I am super stoked to go and watch episode six because, like, the the waiting and, like, I don't know. 
anticipation, anticipation. building so mm-hmm. uh, i will we will be posting this tonight we are still on track to hopefully be releasing one a day till we get through to episode nine which isn't that far off now um and yeah it thanks guys for sticking with us through this one it was a big long episode with lots to talk about and many ideas to hypothesize about so uh we will see you again tomorrow yes okay thanks for listening guys and thank you jess thanks kim bye